I'd like for you to find your, in your New Testament the book of Luke chapter 2 and the book of Matthew chapter 5. And the passage in the book of Luke chapter 2 is verses 13 and 14. And then in chapter 5 of Matthew it's verse 9 and verses 23 through 25. The familiar Christmas story is the, in the second chapter of Luke. I'll read verses 13 and 14. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom He is pleased. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Verse 23, If therefore you are presenting your, your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way in order that your opponent may not deliver you to the judge and the judge to the officer and you be thrown into prison. If you've ever watched Family Feud, you know that the plot of that game is that two families oppose one another, two families or contestants, and they try to um, guess what the studio audience answered to certain questions. One day the question was, if you had one Christmas wish, that is, if you could have one thing and only one granted request at Christmas time, what would it be? Do you know what the number one answer was? That there would be peace on earth. Let it be acknowledged that we as people are tired. We're tired of shouting matches and shooting matches. And we're tired of enmities and polarities. And we're tired of filial and political and, and racial strife. And we're tired of having to divide the world between opponent and friend and foe. And the cry of the heart and the need of the hour is for peace on earth. And yet, it's been 2,000 years since that Bethlehem morning. And it's been 2,000 years since angels announced peace on earth. Why is there no peace? It's been 200 decades since the Prince of Peace came. And yet war rages. And there's still a Nicaragua and a Lebanon, and a Tenement Square. Well, peace is not something that human beings drift into. We may drift into hostility, but peace must be sought and achieved. And if you see that a place where there is peace, you know that somebody has worked hard for it. In light of this beatitude, it's not enough that you yearn for peace or that you seek for peace 
or even that you have found peace. You're called to make peace. Wherever Jesus came, He made a tremendous difference. It didn't matter what kind of crowd it was or what they were about. When Jesus stepped on the scene, there was this profound difference. Oh, sometimes they responded to Him in hatred and hostility, but they knew He was present. And so when there, where there was sorrow, He brought joy. Where there was despair, hope. Where there was a funeral, He turned it into a resurrection. And where there was turmoil and, and, and enmity, He brought peace and said, As the Father has sent me, even so send I you. I wonder how many of you are making a difference in your world, in your office, in your home, in your school, lifting it to a, to a higher level. I wonder how many of you are making peace. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. One thing about it, you'll know when salt and light are present. And at no point in life do we have more potential to make a difference than at this point of making peace on earth. Now that New Testament word has a negative and positive aspect. Negatively it means a cessation from war and a ceasing of hostility. Positively, it means the blessing of God. It means that I bring to life such a quality that God is able to bless. Jesus is saying this, that when my children move out as peacemakers, they bring such a quality of life that people no longer can fight with one another. A number of years ago, J. Hyde Williams was president of Southwestern Seminary. He was such a tremendous man. Shortly before his untimely death, he was interim pastor of a church in the city of Fort Worth that had been riddled with, with uh, uh, strife and fighting. It had a history of bickering and fighting and complaining. J. Hyde Williams went there and he was such a difference that at his death somebody came to the person preaching his funeral and said, when J. Howard Williams came to our church, we just couldn't fight any longer. We couldn't criticize any longer. There just could be no strife in the presence of that man who loved so much. Not only does it mean that I bring a quality of life that makes it impossible for men to fright, fight with one another, it means as a peacemaker I bring such a quality of life that God pours out His blessing upon us. Now there needs to be something said about the, the position of this beatitude. It's the seventh beatitude and there are eight. It's the last beatitude that describes the character of a Christian. The next beatitude, the last one, describes the conduct of the world in response to Christians who have the character of Beatitudes 1 through 7. Two things that need to be said about the position of this beatitude. Because it comes last, it means that peacemaking is the apex of Christian character. You say, well, I thought that peacemaking was the ape, that, that my relationship with God is, is the apex of Christian character. I didn't know that the apex of Christian character was my relationship with others. 
The climax of Christianity is how you get along with other people. John says in his epistle, If you cannot love your brother whom you see, how in the world can you love God whom you do not see? The proof of my love for God is that I love my fellow man. The proof that my relationship with God is as it ought to be is that my relationship with my fellow man is as it ought to be. Now there are some people who come to church every Sunday and they sing the hymns and they say the prayers and they're pious and holy. You ask them, do you love God? They'll tell you, yes, as best I can, I love God. You follow them around from Monday to Saturday and they're alive, they're impatient, they're they're impolite, they're touchy, they're irritable, they're quarrelsome. To be with them is like being in the eye of a hurricane. Everything they touches, every, every place they go stirs up a storm. And John says, if this is the extent of your Christianity, you're a phony. For God is not so impressed with how long you pray. He is impressed with how you get along with others. And because it comes last, because it comes after the, all the others in the list of Beatitudes, it means that only the poor in spirit, only the gentle are peacemakers. It means only those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be peacemakers. Only those who are as merciful as He is merciful will be peacemakers. It suggests that only as a person knows God will he ever engage in making peace. And they shall be called children of God. In other words, the thing that makes you most like God is that you're a peacemaker. Who shall call them children of God? The world shall call them children of God. He's saying that the only way the world is ever going to recognize you as a child of God is to see you making peace. And so Jesus said, Hence they will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Now the question is, is there a way to demonstrate peacemaking? Is there a picture of it? And there is. It's found in verse 23 through 25. Three things that demonstrate peacemakers. While the world yearns for peace, heaven longs for peacemakers. And there are three ways to demonstrate it. Three things that need to be said about it. First of all, peacemaking is indispensable to your fellowship with God. God says your fellowship with your, with your fellow man is fragile. Handle it with care because if you're out of fellowship with your fellow man, you cannot have fellowship with me. It's a physical impossibility for two people to approach the same object and not come closer together. It's a spiritual impossibility for a person to draw near to God and be out of fellowship with his fellow man. You may say, I want to draw near to God. I want to be closer to God. But, if, but I don't care for old so-and-so. You can forget it. It's indispensable to your fellowship. 
It's indispensable to your worship. Jesus said, God will not accept your gift of worship if you're out of fellowship. You know what I've discovered in the years that I pastored? That when I preach, God doesn't look at my sermon. He looks at my heart. When you get ready to teach during the week and you stand up on Sunday morning and you teach that Sunday school class, He doesn't look at that teaching. He looks at your heart. He didn't look, he didn't look to see how much you put on your envelope and you sealed it and turned it in in the offering plate. He looks at your heart. He doesn't look at you when you go out on Monday night to visit, to, to witness. He looks at your heart. He doesn't look at this or listen to the sound of this music, first of all. He looks at our heart. And he says, if you're in the process of offering this gift of worship and you remember that you have something against someone, someone has something against you, leave that gift and go immediately and be reconciled. Can you imagine what pandemonium would occur on Sunday morning if every preacher right in the middle of his sermon, stopped his sermon and said, there are those who have something against me. Before I finish this sermon, I'm going to go and get that right. You imagine a pandemonium on Sunday morning, Sunday school teachers step in their class, in their classroom, and all of a sudden as they're presenting that gift of worship, service, they remembered someone has something against them, and they said, I'll be right back. As soon as I get this settled, I'll be back. I'll tell you what, God would put an anointing on the presentation of sermons and teaching we've never heard before if that happened. You imagine what would happen if before this choir came in, the people in this choir all aloft, maybe someone would say, I, I remember there's someone who has something against me and I'll not sing until I make it right. Can you imagine what would happen the next time we sang? Here is a principle you and I need to remember that the acceptability of the gift is determined by the acceptability of the giver and there is no substitute for reconciliation. It's indispensable to the Spirit-filled life. How many times have you read in the New Testament where God poured out His Spirit upon a church? You'll notice if you read that carefully as you read the New Testament, there's one little phrase that occurs every time the infilling of the Holy Spirit occurs. And that little phrase is this, and they were all together in one accord. It's indispensable to your prayer life. You know the reason why we believe the Bible is true Every bit of it from cover to cover is because we don't know what it says. Did you know First John, did you know First Peter 3 9 was in the Bible? It says, Husbands, live with your wives in understanding. Give them honor that is due them, lest your prayers be hindered. You know what he's saying? Did you know that was in the Bible? That if you do not live together as a, a husband and a wife in harmony and fellowship, you can forget about prayer. Peacemaking is indispensable. Second thing that needs to be said in this demonstration is that we are to take the initiative in peacemaking. He said, when you remember someone has something against you. 
Have you ever noticed how prayer quickens the memory? So that when you begin to pray, just immediately you remember those things that are in your life that hinder your fellowship, don't you? Sometimes that's because the devil accuses us. He's the great accuser. And while we're in prayer, the devil comes to accuse us to God and says, now, how can you pray when you know you have this in your life? And sometimes that, that remembering is, is God who is saying to us, now, before we go on in this prayer, let's remember this that's in your life. And because you remember it, and because your, your memory is quickened, you and I are to take the initiative. Now he's not talking about, he's not saying if you have something against your brother. He's saying if your brother has something against you, that's another case when you have something against your brother. You say, well, how am I to deal with that? Well, that's also described in the scripture. If you have something against your brother, he says in Mark eleven twenty five. listen to it. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your transgression. He didn't say, if you have something against your brother, go and make it right. He said, while you stand praying, forgive him. And you say, well, I, I can't forgive. Yes, you can. For Jesus never commands us to do something that we are not capable of doing. You see, forgiveness is not an emotional thing. It's not a feeling thing. Let, let me describe, let me tell you what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is tearing up the IOU you hold against them. You know what reconciliation means? It means to be restored to favor. Whatever it takes, this is the need of the hour and the cry of the heart. Whatever it takes for you and I to be reconciled to one another, that's what's necessary. That's what should be done. Sometimes it means restitution. That's another sermon. Indispensable, the initiative, let me mention one last thing. It needs to be done immediately. There's some urgency in verse 25 when he said, Go then, right then, go immediately, go with urgency and make reconciliation. And there are two reasons why it should be done immediately. First is because the longer you wait to do it, the deeper the roots of bitterness grow. Jesus said, or the scripture said, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. You know what he meant? He meant that wrath grows best at night, grows best in the dark. And the longer you wait in order to get reconciliation, the more the bitterness grows and grows and grows. It should be done immediately. The second re reason, because you're on your way to the judge. That's what he said in verse 25. You're on your way to the judge. It's not going to be long until you stand before the judge. Do you want to stand before the judge? with unforgiveness between you and another. 
A number of years ago, the navigators sent a couple out to Libya as missionaries. Now, there are no missionaries in Libya now, but the navigators had a couple out in Libya serving as missionaries. They labored there in, in, those, in that Muslim country and that under difficult uh, circumstances and in a difficult situation never saw a Christian convert. And they lived among those people in love and, and, and they sought, they worked for peace. This man was about 35 years old, we'll call him Jim, I don't know what his name was. He was suddenly, unexpectedly stricken with a disease and died. And this woman, this wife, way out in Libya, had to make arrangements to get her husband's body home. She was all alone and frightened. About two days in the preparation of getting his body home, and there was a lot of red tape, of course, involved, she heard a knock at the door. When she went to the door, there stood three of the leaders of the Muslim faith, and they said, we've come for your husband's body. We're going to bury it here. And she said, you can't have my husband's body. I'm taking it back to the States and burying it in a plot in my homeland. They said, we want your husband's body. We're going to bury it in the place of the honored dead, our honored dead. And when she refused, adamantly refused, one of the Muslims looked at her and said, I don't understand you Christians. For 2,000 years, you've looked for the coming of Jesus Christ. And when he finally came, you didn't recognize him. I wonder how many of you are making a difference in your world. At no point can we make a greater difference than at the point of making peace. Let's pray together. Father, we know that the cry of this world is that there be peace on earth. But we know the Scripture calls us to be peacemakers. And I pray, Father, that our prayer in our heart would not let there be peace on earth, but let me make peace on earth so that I can best look like the Prince of Peace. For I ask in Jesus' name for His sake. I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seat in just a moment. Come forward. If you're on that outside aisle, you need to come down this aisle to get by. First of all, I want to ask you this morning, if you're not a Christian, that you'd come today 
to Jesus Christ, to accept Him, to trust Him, to invite Him into your life to be your Savior, take away your sin. But I'm going to ask you to make a difficult decision. That decision is this, that you would come to say, Pastor, I want to make a difference. I want to be a difference where I am. And I'll begin today. I commit my life to making a difference in my school, in my office, in my home, to lift the level of life. I'll come to make that commitment. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.